When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Get Booked Podcast, a weekly show for personalized reading recommendations. This is episode 267, and we're recording on February 2nd. I'm Amanda Nelson, and I'm here with Jen Northington, and we are coming to you from Book Riot and our individual winter wonderlands. Yeah, I was going to say last week we were waiting for snow, mm-hmm. and this week we got it. <laughs> it has arrived. <laughs> yeah, there's like seven inches, and it's still falling oh, here in Philly. Wow. It's a ton. It's so much. That we did. That's not what happened here. <laughs> we got a respectable amount. I mean, like three inches, maybe. But like all the schools closed. Yes. Actually, the kids were supposed to go back to in person yesterday, oh. and it got snowed out. Which I feel like was maybe the universe being like, "This is a bad idea." Uh. <laughs> I don't know. It didn't happen. But you know, whatever. It's melted. I mean, it's coming. It's still coming down, but it's not sticking. Oh, again, yeah. because of Virginia. Right. I was just going to say, it is for sure sticking here. I'm going to try to get out later, at least for like 10 minutes, to tromp around in it for funsies. Yay! <laughs> Make a snow angel. Yeah, basically. That's the plan. That's exciting. I mean, what else is snow for? Inconveniencing you, might as well make a snow angel. Right. That's right. <laughs> All right. So how our show works, this is not a weather show. Um, it, is. <laughs> it is. It is for like 30 seconds every episode. It's fine. We are a show for personalized reading recommendations. So you can send those to us via email at getbookedatbookriot.com or you can drop them in the form, which is in the show notes on the site. These can be for you or for a book club or for a gift or for anything. Doesn't matter. It's all good. We ask for your email because if we have answered your question already, we will email you back. If your question is time sensitive, please put that in the subject line. If you use the email, if you use the form, just put it in big letters, all caps in the first line so that we see it in the sheet. And again, if we're not going to get to it in time, we will email you back. Looks like we don't have any feedback this week, so we're going to get rolling. Jen's going to read our first question, and away we will go. All right. Our first question is from an insider. If you are a Book Riot insider uh, at the epic level, you can get your question fast-tracked. So, you know, all the information about that at insiders.bookriot.com. So Krista is an insider who is asking, I'd like to read one or more solid but entertaining history books or memoirs to help me understand the War of 1812. I'm especially interested in how it played out in Prince George's County, Maryland. I keep seeing all of these historical markers, and I don't really have a concept of the war. I did enjoy Chernow's Hamilton and Goodwin's No Ordinary Time, so I can handle a pretty hefty read. All right. Well, before we get into the War of 1812, which is a (laughs) sentence I've never said before, um, (laughs) let's do our first sponsor. Today's episode is brought to you by Greenleaf Book Group. No summer vacation should be without a great read. And I don't know about you, but I am partial to mysteries and thrillers for my hot month reads. It's hot girl reading summer always over here. And from the award-winning librettist of Legally Blonde, the musical and the screenwriter of Freaky Friday, Heather Hawk, comes the page-turning psychological thriller, The Trouble with Drowning. So when author Eden Hart floats into Tucson's Antigone books and all her dazzling perfection to give a reading, Kat, a struggling writer, can't help but compare herself. 
Thankfully, Kat's life starts to take on its own Eden-like glow when her literary future takes shape and she falls madly in love with Jacob. As demons from her past begin to surface, Kat's mental health craters and this halcyon dream slips through her fingers. For the fastest paced slow burn you won't be able to put down, be sure to check out The Trouble with Drowning by Heather Hawk on Amazon or your retailer of choice. And thanks again to Greenleaf Book Group for sponsoring this episode. Today's episode is brought to you by Flatiron Books, publisher of 888 Love and the Divine Burden of Numbers by Abraham Chang. So this is an interesting love story. It's great for fans of Tomorrow and Tomorrow and Tomorrow and High Fidelity. It's set in the mid-90s at NYU. And it follows young Wang, who has gotten the advice of love through Chinese numerology from his uncle. So he believes that he will have seven great loves in his life. And then he meets Irena in 95 and she's like the best. She's brilliant, charismatic, quick-witted, funny. They fall in love. But the thing is, she's number six. So if he is to have seven great loves, does that mean his time with Arena is going to come to an end? So this is a love letter to Western pop culture, Eastern traditions, and being a first-generation New Yorker. Make sure to check it out. And thanks again to Flatiron Books, publisher of 888 Love and the Divine Burden of Numbers by Abraham Chang for sponsoring this episode. Amanda, I feel like this question was for you. I love it so much. <laughs> the War of Vanishing 12 is fascinating because to us, it was very important. And to Britain, they did not care. <laughs> so that's always super fun. So I picked the, uh, 1812, The War That Forged a Nation by Walter R. Borneman. It is not specifically about any like county in Maryland, although it does cover a lot of the Chesapeake Bay skirmishes, which will include Maryland. But it is more of like an overview of the war, starting um, with you know, before it happened, obviously, the things that led up to it, including the stuff that you probably remember from school, like conscription of American sailors, and like uh, blockades of French ships and all that kind of stuff. Uh, but there are, of course, more complicated political things that that led up to the war, including, to be fair, America's constant insistence on trying to take over Canada, which was never happened, it was never <laughs> going to happen, but just kept trying, because we just won one war. So we were like, well, while we're here, let's <laughs> Let's just go to Canada. Let's just take Canada. And Britain was not having that. Anyway, so the skirmishes in the area that you're asking about around uh, Maryland and the Chesapeake Bay were mostly Britain trying to browbeat America into behaving so that they could stop focusing on us and spend more time focusing on the thing they actually cared about, which was Napoleon. If Napoleon had not been behaving the way that he was behaving in Europe, America definitely would have lost the War of 1812 and we would still be a part of England or again be a part of England. So all that's really fascinating. And the... um. I keep calling them skirmishes because they weren't really battles. The stuff that happened in Maryland and the place where you're living now in Prince George uh, has a lot to do with why we are not, you know, part of the the British Empire (laughs) right now, which is great. So, yeah, and this will go over the uh, beginnings of the war, all of that stuff that I just talked about, and then the kind of longer reaching consequences of us managing to not succumb to British rule again. So that's 1812, The War That Forged a Nation by Walter R. Borneman. I went hyper-specific with this request. There is a series called Images of America by the History Press, who specialize in local history. And there is one specifically about Prince George's County, Maryland. It's by Catherine D. Bryant and Donna L. Schneider. 
with the County Historical and Cultural Trust. And it's like, if you wanted to look up a specific historic site in here, it's going to give you all of the details about that. And it's not limited to the War of 1812. It's just going to give you like, here is a monument in this county and here's what it's about. So it's not War of 1812 specific, but it is very geographically specific. And I feel like this would be a super fun thing to take along with you if you were going to like go or plan a trip to see different ones. This would give you all kinds of context and information. And this series, like I said, they've got uh, like every county, it feels like in the United States. I mean, I don't know if that's actually true, but they have covered a huge amount of geography of the United States. We used to sell a ton of these in every bookstore I've ever worked in because people love local history, like obviously. So it's super interesting if you really want like a slightly more in-depth guide that's also going to give you more resources to look into your region's history. This is a great series. So again, that's the Images of America. There's a Prince George's County, Maryland one. There's actually also another one. Um, they have a Black America series, and there's one about Prince George's County that specifically focuses on the impact of uh, Brown versus the Board of Ed, which could be really interesting for like your next dive into the impact of historic events on your county. So I just wanted to shout that one out as well. All right. Our next question is from Rose, who says, I've gotten into romance lately, and I like historical fiction, so naturally I wanted to try historical romance. I've tried some books, but I dislike the unequal power balance between the female love interest and the male love interest. I also dislike that the women do not seem to have a life or interests outside of the ballroom. I really liked The Lady's Guide to Celestial Mechanics and the follow-up, The Care and Feeding of Waspish, Waspish Widows by Olivia Waite. These books have women who live great lives without men and have interesting jobs and skills. Do you know of more historical romance with women who have interesting lives before they meet their love interests? I don't care whether it's male, female, or female, female. Okay, I'm gonna keep going. I picked the Girl Meets Duke series by Tessa Dare. The first book is The Duchess Deal. None of the women in the series care about ballrooms or are even allowed at ballrooms <laughs> for that matter. Um, so each of these, there are four books in the series. I have not read the fourth, but I've read the first three. And each of the women either have jobs, like normal working occupations, or uh, with the Wallflower Wager, which is number three, she is some kind of countess or some sort of something like that um she is titled but she doesn't she's the wallflower rager right she's a wallflower she doesn't go out into society and she's much more interested in running like an animal rescue out of her giant house in the middle of london so that's what she does and all of these women have really fascinating backstories like in the second one the governess game she does become a governess but she starts off as like a clock keeper like her job is to go to different houses and set the clocks which was apparently like a, a real career that you could make and she's like supporting herself and the whole thing um the duchess deal like i said is the first book and the heroine of that one has um, a pretty elaborate backstory she was the daughter of a vicar and now she's a seamstress and it's got one of the best openings of any romance novel i've ever read she makes this elaborate wedding gown for this woman who's supposed to marry this duke the wedding gets called off and she's so pissed because she spent so much money and time making this elaborate gown and the woman won't pay for it so she puts it on and then she Shows up at the Duke's house in the dress. And it's like, excuse me, do you see how amazing this is? You owe me money. And then like, that's how the romance starts. It's great. There, So there is like cult class imbalance in a lot of these, like, especially with the first two, these are working class women who are getting involved with men who either who are Dukes or who are wealthy or whatever. But it's not used in that way. There's not a lot of like ballroom angst. You know, the power imbalances are discussed uh, and the women have lives and hobbies and friends and a whole the whole thing outside of like these dudes who they've met on the page. So that is the Girl Meets Duke series by Tessa Dare. 
Yeah, I am recommending the Brothers Sinister series by Courtney Milan. The first one is The Duchess War. And much like Amanda's, basically all of the women in these books are like significantly less concerned about or less interested in or are actively avoiding society, mm-hmm. um, depending on their personal backstories. In this first one, uh, Minerva Lane is very deliberately a wallflower because you, I don't want to spoil it, but you find out that she was <laughs> once in the public eye and it was like very traumatic for her. So she's like... I don't want anything to do with anything. But she's extremely smart and she's like got her own goals in life and things going on. Uh, And then there's this Duke who comes into town and he actually is also like much more concerned with like labor rights, among other things, than what society is up to. And so it's really fun to watch how their different like focuses interplay with each other. Um, There's, of course, also lots of like drama uh, and, you know, epic moments that do involve society because, you know, the dude's a duke, like people are watching him. Uh, But that's part of the whole thing. And I just loved all of the books in this series. They're all really interesting. And uh, they do give you a glimpse into like, yeah, what were women up to in this time period that had nothing to do with the ballroom? Uh, So again, that's the Brothers Sinister series by Courtney Milan. Uh, The first one is The Duchess War. Basically, though, all of her books have great romances in them, and they do have, uh, there's female, female in there as well. So I do recommend all of them. Oh, and a quick shout out to a book I talked about on a previous show, which is Proper English by K.J. Charles. There's like two women who, they're trying to solve a murder, like they don't care about the ballroom. (laughs) All right, our next question is from Emily who says, this year I've decided to attempt to complete the Reading Women Challenge and the Read Harder Challenge because why not? I like to push myself. Both challenges have prompts for middle grade novels. Uh, Reading Women is a Muslim middle grade and uh, Read Harder is a middle grade mystery. I'm wondering if there's a way to combine these two and find the next great Muslim middle grade mystery. I'm not normally a fan of middle grade, so maybe this will change my mind. Thanks a bunch. Love the show. Okay, Amanda, what do you got? I picked The Gauntlet by Karuna Riazzi, who, to disclose, is a book right contributor. And this is such a fun, it's Jumanji, but like modern, modern Jumanji. And I am so here for that. Jumanji is like such a great, I don't know, Robin Williams shaped place in my heart. It's weird. I don't know. I really like Jumanji and all things that are related or compared to it. So this is three friends uh, in New York City who find themselves accidentally trapped inside of a game, right? Sounds familiar. So Farah is the main character. She is 12. And her two best friends get sucked into this board game called the Gauntlet of Blood and Sand, which is like a puzzle game that's gifted to her by a relative that looks kind of like a Rubik's Cube, but obviously obviously is not. Um, it's her birthday and her... So she gets this gift and her little brother, who is generally quite annoying as little brothers tend to be, starts putzing with it, like putzes with her present. She's like really annoyed by this, but then he gets sucked into it magically and that's different. <laughs> so she jumps in with her friends to save her brother, even though, again, he's quite annoying. Once they get inside of it, um, they realize that the game, you know, has this kind of sinister architect who is who has uh, crafted these different levels they have to beat in order to find her brother and get out. And the mystery that they're trying to solve here is pretty obvious. Like, where did this game come from? Who is the architect? How do we get out of here? Uh, And it's wrapped up in this adventure. It's kind of steampunky. Like, there's a lot of steampunk elements in the way that the game moves and some of the characters or obstacles they have to face. There's also a a talking lizard named Henrietta who 
runs like a lizard union of people who like work in the in the game. <laughs> She's like a labor leader for the lizards in this game. It's so There's great. our it's show so title. Great. Labor lizard leader. Say that four times. So that's The Gauntlet by Karuna Riazzi. Amazing. <laughs> so I do not have a mystery for you per se. I like I had a hard time finding one that seemed like a good fit. And instead, I was like thinking about how you're talking about not normally a fan of middle grade. And so I wanted to give you one that maybe felt like it would help change your mind about middle grade generally. And so I picked More to the Story by Henna Khan, which is, wait for it, Muslim Little Women. What? Woo! Amazing. <laughs> So yeah, this is uh, inspired by Little Women. It talks about four sisters from a contemporary American Muslim family. They live in Georgia. And Jamila is like an aspiring journalist, so clearly like the Joe March in this situation. She, you know, wants to be a journalist like her late grandfather. Uh, she just got to pick to be the feature editor of her middle school newspaper. But like the editor in chief is like not liking her ideas. And she gets assigned to write this story about some like new kid in school. And she's just like, Ugh, I can't even like do anything with this material. How am I ever going to like win the media contest and like get, you know, the recognition? and the fame. And then there's lots of other things going on in her life. Their father needs to take a job overseas, so he's going to be gone for six months, which then, you know, changes the family dynamic. And then her younger sister gets very ill. And so she has to, like, juggle all of these different things and figure out, you know, like, what's important? How do you balance your own ambitions and still be part of a family or develop friendships? And I just, like... I love this concept so much. And I thought, you know, for lots of readers, we all have, a lot of us have Little Women as a strong touch point. And this is a great intro to a great Muslim middle grade author and just a great story. So again, that's more to the story by Henna Khan. Okay, our next question is from Kim, who says, I'm looking for audiobook recs for my dad. He has diminished eyesight and was gifted an audiobook subscription, so I'm hoping to give him recommendations to get him excited to use it. I haven't seen him read a book since I was very young, and those were all John Grisham. Our family's from Canada, so he wouldn't be into presidential biographies. <laughs> <laughs> the ultimate dad book, right? Yeah. Uh, he watches HGTV, The History Channel, and James Bond movies, but his most rewatched movie seems to be Inglorious Bastards. He works in the pharmaceutical industry, so nonfiction like Radium Girls might tickle his fancy. However, I think he would do better with fiction. Okay. So I picked Shepherd by Catherine Jinks, which I will give a tr trigger warning here for harm to animals. It's vi it's violent. It's like very violent. But if he likes Inglorious Bastards, I think he's going to be okay. <laughs> um, and it, it is historical fiction. It's got a little bit of, well, nature-y stuff. Let me, okay, let me back up. So this is about a kid named Tom. And it's the 1800s in Australia. He's from Suffolk. He's from the UK. And his family has been tried, caught, um, what's the word, poaching. And his family has been tried. His bro his father was executed. I think his brother was as well. And he, because of his age, is being transported to New South Wales. So he has been put on a boat and shipped to Australia. And the way that he's serving out his term is by working as a shepherd for um, a ranch in Australia with a bunch of other convicts, like out in the middle of nowhere. Before the book opens, you realize that one of the other men who was there died, was like, was a bad dude and died somehow in um, this like outback wilderness. And Tom is now left with this other guy named Rowdy, who is also a convict. And, you know, according to his name, his name is correct. He's a very like loud and goofy kind of dude. 
And together they realize that the guy that they left for dead out in the wilderness, who was like a bad dude, is not actually dead and is mad at them for leaving him for dead and is coming to kill them. So Tom, who I will reiterate is like 13, 14, and then this guy, Rowdy, have to like go on, you know, a run for their lives away from this kind of sociopath. Tom is, because he's a poacher and like a very skilled one, is super, super good at reading the land. And he's using those kinds of skills to save himself and his companion, Rowdy, and also his little dog. And it involves them going to the ranch for help. There's something, they find something terrible there. It's just like a... um like a, a chase. The whole book is a chase. So on audio, it's very engrossing because like every page, there's a new obstacle he has to overcome or like the villain gets a little closer or he encounters the villain and has to save himself. It's just very high paced. And for somebody who I think is into James Bond movies, I think that this will be a great comp for that because it's so much adventure and it's so much like it, Tom is a kid. So you're kind of automatically rooting for him because he's 13 and he he knows what he's doing. And like his high crime is poaching, right? So like who can be super mad at that? But in the same way that James Bond is not, not like actually a good guy, Tom is not actually good. He's still a criminal. And the stuff that he does to survive in the book, you're like a little bit about. Um, so it's not necessarily good guys versus bad guys, but it's better guys versus bad guys, which is very, very Bondian, I think. And it's just a great adventure. And I think that somebody who's into historical fiction and the History Channel, like your dad, will dig it. So that's Shepherd by Catherine Jinks. Yeah, I also went the mystery thriller route. Um, I picked a Canadian uh, mystery thriller series. The first is The Unquiet Dead. It's by Asma Zehanik Khan. Um, it's the Rachel Getty and Asa Khatak series. And this is it's really interesting. So uh, Getty and Khatak work in a division of, is it Toronto? Anyway, they work in a division of a Canadian police force that deals specifically with uh, cases that involve marginalized communities um, because they are like sensitive in various ways that people who need to understand how to handle them should be involved in them. And so they get assigned this case that's like, it's not immediately clear to Rachel, like why they have this case. But then it comes to light that the murder victim may have been a war criminal with ties to the Srebrenica massacre of 1995. So, like, super sensitive. And um, an investigation turns out to, like, ugh, uncover all of these potential suspects, as is usual. <laughs> and it has, like, you know, sort of international scope in this community. And so I thought that, you know, given his interests and uh, and also the fact that you're from Canada, like this might be a great fit. They're all in audio. They're really, really good. Um, I think there's more coming, too. So it's not a finished series, which is always nice when you're trying to get a reader like excited about keeping going with a series. Uh, so, again, that's The Unquiet Dead. It's the first in the Rachel Getty and Asa Khatak series by Asma Zehanet Khan. And it is time for our next sponsor. Today's episode is brought to you by Avid Reader Press. So this next book is a really fun sounding mashup of different genres. There's a little time travel, a little romance, a little spy thriller action going on. So in the near future, a civil servant is offered the salary of her dreams and is shortly afterward told what project she'll be working on. A recently established government ministry is gathering quote unquote expats from across history to establish whether time travel is feasible for the body, but also for the fabric of space time. This is an exquisitely original and feverishly fun fusion of genres and ideas. 
The Ministry of Time by Colleen Bradley asks, what does it mean to defy history when history is living in your house? Colleen Bradley's answer is a blazing, unforgettable testament to what we owe each other in a changing world. It kind of gives Outlander meets Cloud Atlas or If the Time Traveler's Rife was written by Sally Rooney or Colson Whitehead. Make sure to check out The Ministry of Time by Colleen Bradley. And thanks again to Avid Reader Press for sponsoring this episode. Today's episode is brought to you by Thirsty by Jazz Hammonds. College student Blake and her girlfriend have one goal, join the exclusive sorority that promises connections to a network of trailblazing women of color. Now, Ella's acceptance is a sure thing. She's a daughter of a Serena Society alum. After all, Blake, on the other hand, lacks Ella's pedigree and her confidence. Luckily, though really unluckily, she finds courage at the bottom of a liquor bottle. When she drinks, she's bold and funny, and as pledging intensifies, so does Blake's drinking. Ella assures her that she's fine, partying hard is what it takes, but with her future on the line, Blake must decide how far she's willing to go to achieve glittering dreams of success. Now, just so you know, Jazz Hammonds is the 2023 winner of the critic Scott King John Steptoe Award for New Talent for We Deserve Monuments, and We Deserve Monuments was an Amazon Best Books of the Year and Barnes & Noble Best Books of the Year for 2023, so suffice to say, y'all should check this new one out. Thanks again to Thirsty by Jazz Hammonds for sponsoring this episode. All right, still me. Our next question is from Catherine, who says, I love reading about heroes and triumph in the face of adversity. I just rewatched 300 for about the millionth time. I love this movie. I know the Battle of Thermopylae is not technically a victory, but the sacrifice of the Spartans allowed for victory down the line. Do you know of any books with this similar topic? Strong men willing to sacrifice for a greater good. I also love anything from World War One or Two regarding this same subject. Amanda. Well, there is no shortage of books about doodly dudes yeah. in World War in either of the World Wars. So I went with one that has a movie version also, since you love the movie 300. I picked Unbroken by Laura Hillenbrand, which the movie I think was directed by Angelina Jolie, or I might be making that up. I don't know. Anyway, it's a movie. It won some Oscars. It's great. Uh, it does have a trigger warning for torture. So this is like the doodliest of dudes, right? Louis uh, Zamperini is the main character. I mean, it's not, it's it's a history book. It's not fiction. So main character is like a weird term to use here. But it's about this guy, Louis, who is, was like the son of Italian immigrants. He was in the US. I was kind of a, um, what's the word? Like a hooligan as a child, like got in a lot of trouble as a kid. And then in high school, discovered running and became an Olympic runner. He went to the Olympics in the 30s. I think it was 1936. Uh, didn't win a medal, but was like, did, pretty well uh, and was going to go back to the Olympics for running in the in 1940. But of course, the war, World War II broke out and that that didn't happen. So instead, he joined the Air Force and he goes on a bunch of different missions and one of them crashes in the ocean. His plane crashes in the ocean and he gets in a boat, a life raft, uh, I think with two other people and has to survive. And there's it's like classic life raft ocean survival stuff like water, starvation, sharks that leap into his boat. Why? Ah! <laughs> Well, scary. Um, and then he's 
he lands on an island. <laughs> this dude cannot win. Like, he lands on an island, but then he gets captured by the Japanese and sent to a prisoner of war camp where he has to survive that, um, which turns out to be, like, a lot worse than being on the raft by himself starving to death because prisoner of war camp, right? And so it's just obstacle after obstacle after obstacle. Definitely, you know, a hero triumphing in the face of adversity, everything from leaping sharks to prisoner of war camps. And now there's a whole book and a whole movie about the guy. So that's Unbroken by Laura Hillenbrand. I went with World War One, and I went with the Harlem Hellfighters because I thought, I, I feel like there's starting to be more awareness of these guys, but it's still pretty limited, and I thought maybe you were not aware of them, which you totally should be. The book I'm recommending is A More Unbending Battle by Peter Nelson. And this is, so the Harlem Hellfighters were a uh, regiment made up entirely of African Americans who, like, were committed to fighting in World War I, but because of the segregation policy in America, they actually had to fight with the French. Like, they weren't allowed to fight with the U.S. infantry. And they were, they spent longer in combat than any other American unit. They were the first allied unit mm. to reach the Rhine. They, many of the soldiers won, you know, like Legion of Honor awards. Like they won awards from the French government for their service. Um, but they were, yeah, like not part of the American war effort. So it's a really interesting, weird situation. Um, and you, and they're like incredibly valiant and sacrificed mm -hmm. so much for a country that wouldn't even let them fight next to other citizens. So it's a really interesting, like complex, juicy historical subject that I think you will be just as fascinated with as I am. Um, and it's a really important, you know, piece of our history that I think is uh, excellent to learn more about. I will say that the historian uh, who wrote this book is white, but the I checked the reviews and like the, it's like Coretta Scott King was like, this book is great. Um, so uh, well. <laughs> it is well, it was well received by the black community. Um, and I hope to see more books about this because I feel like there's so many stories to tell here. Um, and if all, any of y'all listening know of more about this, like send in those those feedback recommendations. Um, but again, that's A More Unbending Battle by Peter Nelson. All right. Our next question is from Amal, who says, "Any it's more of a statement, any classical literature novels or modern read-alikes, preferably written by women. Okay. <laughs> I, that's it. Uh, I, went, I, I actually quite like when they're that short because it, it leaves me a lot of wiggle room. I went with a modern read-alike for Jane Eyre, a modern retelling of Jane Eyre, actually, called The Wife Upstairs by Rachel Hawkins, which is, what if Jane Eyre were a thief? Who knew exactly what she was getting into, kind of, when she married Rochester. Huh. Right? Like, I think that was, mm. that's, that's like a fast, to me. I love Jane Eyre's one of my favorite books of all time. And I will read almost every retelling of it forever and always. But I love this, like, criminal kind of version of it. So Jane is not her real name. She's just, oh, it also takes place in the South, takes place in Alabama. Um, she's just gotten to Birmingham from Arizona, where she's fleeing something. She's, like, on the run from something. And she gets a job as a dog walker in Thornfield Estates, which is a very upper-class, bougie neighborhood in Birmingham where rich people don't walk their own dogs, right? And so she robs them <laughs> a lot, mostly stuff they're not going to notice. And it's stuff that it would never occur to me. Like, she steals one earring, like one diamond earring from a woman because she'll notice if both go missing. But if it's just one, 
then she'll think, oh, I must have lost the other one. Like that kind of stuff that never would have occurred to me because I'm not a professional thief. <laughs> anyway, and so Eddie Rochester lives in this neighborhood and she meets him when she's out walking a dog one day because he almost runs her over with his car. And it's, you know, a tragic story because his wife, Bea, has recently drowned in a boating accident with her best friend uh, at their lake house. Their bodies were never found. And so Jane gold digs. Like, there's no, I secretly love him. What is this power structure? I'm nervous here. This is very much a like, he's kind of hot. I like this money. This house is cool. I'm tired of dogs. I'm going for it. And she goes for it. And he is very receptive to her going for it. Uh, but the more, the closer she gets to him and the more she hears about his wife, who is assumed dead six months ago, the more questions that she has about the situation. And the thing that you think is happening, oh, man, I don't want to spoil it. Ooh, because it's a twist. I did not get it until like the until the reveal, which I love when that happens. Uh, but the thing that you're thinking is not the thing because you've read Jane Eyre, so you know what I'm talking about. But the, ooh, I'm just I'm making like a weird <laughs> twisty finger thing here. Anyway, everyone is diabolical in this book. No one is trustworthy, including the people you think are dead or who are dead, or maybe you're hiding in the attic. I don't know. I mean, you know, you do know because you've read Jane Eyre. Anyway, so that's the Wife Upstairs by Rachel Hawkins. Amazing. Uh, <laughs> the noises that you made during that ooh. segment. <laughs> I'm making like witch fingers, like ooh. <laughs> <laughs> awesome. All right, so my pick is an overlooked classic. It is The Living is Easy by Dorothy West. This was one of the first novels published by Black women during the 40s. It came out in 1948, uh, published by the Feminist Press. And it is so funny and sort of satirical. Um, and the main character, Cleo, is... Okay, so I will say I found her a delight. But, like, I was I was refreshing my memory by scrolling through the Goodreads reviews. And I just want to shout out the Goodreads user who posted, Have not had a fiction character make me want to pull my eyelashes out in quite a while, but Cleo fixed that. Like... <laughs> That's an amazing description of one person's response to Cleo. She is sort of infuriating in a very delightful way. She's a black woman. She lives in Boston. She's part of, you know, the black elite there. Um, her father was a very prosperous businessman. He was known as the Banana King, which cracks me up every time. And she is, like, very smart. She's sharp. She's, like, she's like a little sort of Becky Sharp Vanity Fair kind of person. Like, she's extremely Ooh. ambitious. Um, she's, like, very manipulative. Like, she just wants what she wants, and she's going to do what she has to get it. Uh, and she has three younger sisters, and she is married to this sort of, like, long-suffering older man, and she is, like, trying to get all of her sisters to move in with them, to leave their husbands and her father uh, behind and, like, move in with them, um, just to, like, because she just... That's just the thing that she wants. And she has having all of these adventures in the course of trying to, like, manipulate everyone and everything around her. And it's very much like a look at this community in Boston during this time period. Um, there's all kinds of interesting supporting characters. I just found it a fascinating and really entertaining read. And like I said, I definitely think if you love, like, you know, the sort of sharp ironic like side jabs at society that you get from like you know Jane Austen and from uh Thackeray and Vanity Fair like you're gonna love this book uh so again that's The Living is Easy by Dorothy West 
And our last question is from May, who says, I'm looking for a book that can help me examine the relationship between sisters. I'm an older sister and have often felt the burden of being the older sibling, especially coming from an immigrant family. I know my sister and I both bring our own strengths and weaknesses to the table, but I'm having a hard time articulating what they are. I'd like to gain some perspective on what it's like to be the younger sibling and to read about what the younger sibling perceives of the older one. I'd love a story with viewpoints from both the older and younger siblings, preferably sister-sister relationships. Uh, Ideally, the story would provide insight on the unique contributions each sister brings to a healthy relationship as they navigate the ups and downs of life. Fingers crossed that such a story exists. A book that tugs at emotions and induces tears would be great. Either nonfiction or fiction is fine. Please, no sci-fi or romance. Amanda, what sister story do you have? All right, look. <laughs> I know you said no romance, but I'm going to argue that this is not a romance. I picked <laughs> Sense and Sensibility by Jane Austen because it's exactly what you're at. Like the sister relationship is exactly what you're describing in this book. And there are both sisters do have romantic stuff that happens to them. But a romance is defined as a book that is primarily about the romantic relationship. And this book is primarily about the sibling relationship. And I will take that to my grave. It is not a romance. Although romance happens. Anyway, I would be fine if it was a romance. And if people think it's a romance, that's fine. But I'm justifying it this way so I can recommend it to you. (laughs) (laughs) Um, So Sense and Sensibility is about Marion and Eleanor Dashwood. They are sisters. They have three other sisters. There's a lot of sisters. Their father has recently died and they are, find themselves, you know, like impoverished and they have to move into a relative's little cabin. Um, so that's happening. And uh, when they move into this cabin, Marion, who is the younger one, falls in love with a man named John Willoughby, who's like a local dude, very devil may care. And Eleanor falls in love with her how to, sister-in-law's brother. So like, Relation by marriage, but not by blood. And they handle these things very differently because Marion is the sensibility of the title, which in Jane Austen's era did not mean she was being sensible. It meant that she has too much, too many senses. Like she is emotional. She's very dramatic. She's an Enneagram 4, for those of you who are familiar with that. Um, She, like everything is feelings and, but I need to be special and like, But he loves me, you know, like it's all of this drama. And she does not care so much about appearances or um, what her family is going through. Um, She just like wants to feel all the feelings, right? And Eleanor is much more contained and I guess you could say like proper. But it doesn't mean that she feels anything any less. She just also feels, in addition to all the things Marion feels, the weight of her responsibility of being the oldest. So she feels like it's her responsibility to keep her family together. And that includes kind of policing Marion's behavior so she doesn't embarrass herself or ruin her chances to get married or be successful in society. Because their mother's kind of worthless. Like she's kind of a ditz and like isn't here to do any of this work. So... Eleanor becomes kind of a de facto parent while also trying to navigate her own romantic struggles, right? And then there's like a lot of society drama that over that plays out over um, these two situations. But the main idea here is that what is that is about that push and pull between an older sibling's feelings of responsibility and care and a younger sibling's feelings of like, you're controlling me. I just want to live my life. And that is a timeless struggle. Like it's mm. something that I had with my own sister and I'm certainly not a Regency Brit. (laughs) But I think that's just a a thing that whether, you know, no matter what your class situation is like or your how good of parents you had or how neglectful your parents might have been or anything, 
it's just what comes with birth order, right? Like older siblings mm. feel that responsibility no matter what. Uh, and this, I think, really speaks to that. And they come to such a nice place. Like through the drama of their romantic issues and their financial issues, the two of them have conflicts but remain strong. Like it's really a romance about them. <laughs> like they have conflicts they overcome in order to get stronger and examine each other's strengths and weaknesses really well. So that's Sense and Sensibility by Jane Austen. I'm not sorry. <laughs> Never be sorry. I, <laughs> I I watched an adaptation of the, a limited miniseries of that not too long ago that was so good. And I'm trying to remember. I think it was the, was it the Johnny Lee Miller one? Anyway, it was excellent. I'll leave a link in the show notes. I, okay, so I have one that, that is a spec, it's on spec for you. It's The Atlas of Unknowns by Tanya James. And I picked it because it is about sisters. It is about an immigrant family. And I have loved some of Tanya James's other books. She's uh, also the author of The Tusk That Did the Damage that I know I recommended like 16 times in previous years. So that's why I picked it for you, despite not having read it. But it is like the reviews are rave. Um, and it is very specifically the story of two sisters with, you know, a point of view that follows the sisters, the different sisters, as well as other characters. Um, and uh, they are of Indian descent. Uh, they were living in Kerala. And uh, Lino and Anju are their names. And they're both dreaming of immigrating to the United States. Um, but Anju is the one who wins a scholarship to a school in New York. But she does it sort of underhandedly. And it means like lying and betraying her sister. And then, you know, people find out, whoops, and she kind of falls off the map and, like, tries to figure out a way to, like, stay in the country, even though her reason for being there has now been invalidated. Um, and Lino, back in Kerala, is, like, working on figuring out her own life. Um, and when she finds out that Anju has sort of disappeared, she decides that she's going to go to America to try to, like, look for her sister and save them. And so it's two sisters, like, trying to work out their issues. They have very complicated relationships with each other, and it's extremely thorny, and there's all kinds of things going on. And it feels very much like it might help you to maybe process some of the things that you're dealing with and give you, like— Probably, hopefully, your relationship with your sister is not this dramatic. Um, it's extremely dramatic. But you did also say you wanted a book that's going to tug at your feels, which this one definitely will. So that's Atlas of Unknowns by Tanya James. And that's our show. Sure is. Thank you so much to our audio editor, Jen Zink. Thank you all for listening. Please leave us a rating, a review on Apple Podcasts. Thank you to our sponsors. You can find us on social media. I'm on Instagram at I'm Amanda Nelson. Where's Jen? I am also mostly on Instagram at I am Jen IRL. That's I-A-M-J-E-N-N-I-R-L. We will talk to you all next week. Bye.